there's this big cup, almost like a goblet, and it's filling up with this sort of hot golden liquid but there are holes in the bottom of the goblet um i feel like it's filling up and filling up and filling out oh it's trickling out oh okay okay no that's still good oh it's filling up again and then eventually like spilling over the top and then just the entire image just gets flooded with this sort of golden liquid i just feel like i'm in this big golden bath Okay, so this is Jodie, and I don't think it's inappropriate to admit that after this conversation, I realised the reason I found it so engrossing is not only is Jodie super perceptive and interesting, especially around like performance and role play and gender identity, but I think I fancy them quite a lot. So, (laughs) and I didn't reveal that to them, so I hope that doesn't make them feel uncomfortable for me to say. So I described to Jodie what I thought their stand-up persona was like, and I kept searching for adjectives. It's been cut, actually, from this episode. I'm sorry to start the episode by describing the things that aren't in it. If you go to our Patreon, you will find these juicy extras there. We were talking about stand-up and the styles that we enjoy and each other's styles. And we decided it was a little bit too self-indulgent to include in the main podcast because it wasn't directly relevant to orgasms. And so I was searching around for adjectives like charismatic, this real presence, power over the audience. And I think what I meant was um, power over me. So (laughs) if that is at all obvious during the episode, I apologise. I think I was extremely professional, but I honestly believe that you will fall a little bit in love with them as well it's such a fascinating chat i can't wait for you to listen to it i know i say that every week and maybe uh uh, people who are annoyed with the repetition of it is because i only book people who i think are banging (laughs) that's not a reference to me at all with joe i'm very happy in my relationship you can fancy people without there being any actual chemistry okay so uh my patreon is helen dove and all the details are in the episode notes along with as ever all of our guests socials so you know where to find them uh without further ado let's get into it oh yes please as someone that for until really recently i found it very difficult to be um myself or be attuned to what was actually going on around me mm. in stand-up or in life or in sex or all three in sex okay in sex I mean in life in general I think I, I dissociate quite easily mm. um possibly because I have ADD I just I go off on tiny tangents in my own mind mm. quite often um but I think definitely with sex because I didn't feel um that comfortable in myself for a long time which is was partly to do with coming out as non-binary as mm. well until very I only came out a couple of years ago um I think because I didn't feel that seen and because I didn't feel that grounded when I was in the very vulnerable situation of having sex I just wasn't able to relax and enjoy and and be aware I don't know if that makes sense it makes but, um, complete sense can you talk to me about um, a feeling of embodiment? Because I think this mm. is a really interesting concept for us to explore, given what you've just talked about. I think um, disassociation is really common, particularly for, um, I'm going to say women, but I wonder whether it's 
I wonder whether it's less the case for people who are non-binary because actually being non-binary means you've gotten to a point where you've acknowledged perhaps the discomfort that was pushing you to dissociate in the first place. I think I I would say that actually um, I do agree with you in certain circumstances and I'm definitely much more grounded now but I think there's definitely something about having been socialised as a woman mm-hmm. that really gets in the way of sex and I I can only talk about my own my own experience so it might be that this doesn't affect anyone else mm-hmm. and it, it is just my my problem but I think um for me I had this whole is- issue of dissociation because I felt so ungrounded in myself and because I didn't feel particularly seen and so I I found it much easier to just sort of float out of my body which sounds like a really horrible thing but a I wasn't that aware of it mm. so it didn't feel that horrible um and B, it was sort of fine. It's It wasn't like a horrible traumatic state. I was having sex with people that I, re- you know, really liked or really loved. Um, so I never felt really traumatised or uncomfortable. But it was just more like I, I wasn't that, that present. Yeah. Yeah, not that connected. And then on top of that, you have like the whole being socialised as a woman and therefore just not understanding pleasure at all until you discover it for yourself Mm -hmm. it's not like we had sex education that even mentioned I mean I feel like all I learned was like his penis must be erect (laughs) and if he puts it inside me now it'll be sandpapered off because you haven't mentioned anything else I'm pretty sure his banjo string will snap from the friction (laughs) but no no, we haven't discussed that yeah just like the hole that it goes into because there's one of three. Just make sure you don't get the wrong one. Although there's one that yeah. it could potentially... No, it's never mentioned there's another one that it could potentially go into. And um, don't talk about the fourth hole, Helen. How could you? But you're right. There's no... I don't think there's a vocabulary, really, for female pleasure. There's no discussion of, like, the different sensations you might experience and how you mm. know which is nice, which sounds so silly, like... um Surely you know it's nice, because most of the time it's going to be nice. Seemed to be the impression, right? It didn't seem to be like... Mm. It seemed to be like, if it's painful then there's something wrong. Although I think actually also sometimes it was like, if it's painful, that's just how it is. (laughs) Yeah, which is terrifying, right? Because I I feel like the predominant message I got about beginning to have sex was um, you'll learn learn how to enjoy it and it will just be horrific to begin with. It's supposed to be um, your first time definitely won't be pleasant at all. You'll, You'll be in immense pain. And I... I looking back on that it's so it's so shocking isn't it yeah. because it would have been much more useful to have been having conversations like if it really hurts that's that's not okay you can you can continue you know having intimate play and exploring but remember that it should never hurt so just communicate as you go and everyone should feel listened to yeah remember you can talk during you can ask questions you can say like um maybe we could try this or actually this isn't really working for me and that's not an issue that's just like it's not the right thing for you right now maybe it'll be good another time there's so many other ways you can discuss it do you mind if we try so how did you get from that kind of sex to it's such a huge question jody but how did you get to being a deeply pleasurable experience because you're both really present if you are having that kind of sex or if you have had that kind of sex in the past how did you get there it was 
several different things. Um, first of all, I'm now in a relationship with someone that works at um, a really radical women's sex shop, <laughs> which really helped. Oh, great. I mean, it's not something I can like put out there as useful advice to other. Just find one of those. I mean, they're pretty thin on the ground. Um, <laughs> But that was very useful. I think for a long time, I was also um, mostly sleeping with people who um, came really easily, which really didn't help me because... What a nightmare. What a nightmare. Because it meant that you always had that conversation of... Because I I found it very difficult to come. And I I think a lot of the sex I was having, although I had some incredible sex, I was basically... Um, having to recreate like my own masturbation rituals mm-hmm. in order to be able to come so I was almost like I was automating coming which was good I mean it's it's valid to like make yourself come in a sexual situation but um, I didn't I was doing it because I didn't feel that present rather than just like woo I'm on my own time scale yeah um, so one of the things that helped was just not having that pressure there or that expectation because I do think it's quite difficult to explain to other people that pressure because I think in the minds of other people it's very much like well I don't have that expectation of you so why do you continue to feel like that (laughs) yeah why (laughs) do you feel at the end every time after I've come and I'm feeling replete and ecstatic that you need to be the same why would that why would why do you why does that come up for you all the time yeah why it's so cyclical (laughs) Um, and so I I think getting a bit of a break from that was really good because it it helped me to relax and then also just kind of exploring the world of sex toys in a really slow and unpressured way Mm. was very very helpful um, because I never really I was never really into vibrators or anything because I found them too way too intense. Yes. I sort of felt like sort of felt like my clit was being jackhammered every time I used one, Why which just that? wasn't somehow just wasn't what I wanted. Why is that not spoken about more? I found exactly the same. Is the sex shop, by the way, it's not shush in Hoxton? It is shush. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, I've been there a number of times, and yeah. I loved it because I felt so um, taken care of in terms mm. of like they give you a mint that's shaped like a cock. I wonder if they have differently shaped mints now because that's quite a hetero. I think there is a range of mints. That's for vaginas? I think so, yeah. I think oh, they've really branched out. Brilliant. Yeah. They make you a coffee. They like sit you down and chat to you. It's very nice. Mm. But ultimately, you are slightly um, at the whim of whoever you're talking to. So essentially mm. what would happen is each time I would go, I would buy a different vibrator. But yeah, would, I would always just essentially buy the product that was working best for the person I was speaking to at the time. And yeah. obviously, you're always going to have different parts. So yeah. or your part's going to work differently. And do you know what also happened? And I wonder if this is because I'm an actor... And I love to imagine being other people. I think I probably would use them thinking, maybe I can be, maybe if I just imagine I'm that girl, I can imagine having the kind of experience she's having. And sort of, again, just completely disassociate and try to be somebody else, having somebody else's pleasure. God, that makes me sound like a complete psychopath. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Because I I know exactly what you're talking about. I... 
I so often felt as though I was acting every time I was having sex and every time I was masturbating as well. And another thing that got in the way for me is that when I um, was trying very, very hard not to be queer when I was younger, I watched a lot of het porn to wow. almost try and like brainwash myself out of it. But it's which so sounds horrible, Jodie. How could you possibly use it's- that? I know exactly. It's the worst it's kind horrible. of porn. <laughs> yeah. But for the long for the longest time it successfully worked and then I couldn't um I couldn't masturbate without watching hep porn okay. for a really long time for several years. And so I had to do a lot of work to undo that mess. I mean, I'm so thankful that hep porn is out of my life. That's so fascinating. Hell. Do you think you'd created for yourself like a feedback loop of um Gosh, this is going to risk like <laughs> putting a load of things onto you that are not necessarily true. But I oh, wonder God. whether, in terms of trying to de-queer yourself effectively, mm. you were internalizing a lot of shame about being queer in that sense. Definitely. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. hat porn is kind of like the most aggressively non-queer space. And so by watching it, it was almost like a punishing experience that you were kind of embracing because you felt like that's what you deserved is that have i have i gone too far no that's good that is right yeah um and i i also think that uh, something that i've never really heard talked about anywhere else is that i had a huge complex for a really long time which was the other major thing that sort of dominated my sex life so i had a huge complex about being um too butch or in some way um toxically masculine Mm. and so I was always, always playing out in my mind whatever way I could not be like that, especially when I was having sex with people um, because I'd gotten this sort of heteronormative bullshit into my head because I've mostly dated um, quite femme-presenting people. um, And so whenever I was sleeping with people, I would be so worried about somehow being too dominant, which I know I never have been, partly because I'm like this tiny person as well. (laughs) It's it's quite impossible for me to dominate anyone. I don't think that's something that's uncommon, especially to like small people. (laughs) Like this this fear of being too much, this fear of being too dominating, too powerful, which I think tends to trouble people who are almost the opposite like it doesn't yeah, seem like, to yeah i rationally i rationally know that i'm an incredibly nice person yeah right i know that i'm aware of it i i think other people know too i hope they do mm. um but there is definitely a thing that i i had a lot of um very intense mask shame when i was younger because when i when i came out to my family the problem wasn't that i was queer the problem was that i would um look butch that was the big fear. They were worried that so, that's the way you would be seen. Absolutely. And most right. of the conversations I had are around this, which I don't think were malintentioned, I, I think genuinely came from a place of like, I grew up in a working class family. They were really worried that I was going to throw away some of the, the like opportunities I've managed to grab onto. Like I got a scholarship to this really good school, which is why I sound like a pretentious twat now. Um <laughs> And I I can see where the worry comes from because they were like, it's always going to be a struggle for you to get ahead. You're never going to have opportunities handed to you on a plate. Don't present in a way that will be off-putting. And that was the big worry for everyone. Really worried that I would be butch. I think it would have been fine if I was thin and androgynous, but because I wasn't thin, 
I couldn't be butch because masculinity on people that aren't thin is is so unpleasant to look at which obviously not something I think but that was the the big concern do you think that's something connected to the idea that if you are physically larger you take up more space and therefore if you're already (sighs) not that butch is domineering yeah but it's definitely a more powerful stance than say like shrinking violet so if you're a thin androgynous butch you're actually not still very powerful because you look frail is that essentially the thinking i think so i i think it's all about subverting this sort of patriarchal power dynamic it's the same problem that made being a lesbian not legislated about but it's always been illegal to have penetrative sex with a dildo if you're not a cis man um, because it subverts this this power dynamic. You're taking up space. You're dom- you're dominating someone else because we we see penetrative sex as having like an actor and someone that it's happening to because yeah. we're incredibly fucked up. Species. Yeah, that fucks everything, doesn't it? Literally fucks yeah. everything. That idea that penetration is in itself a power act. Exactly. Whereas it really doesn't need to be when it's not framed in that way. Everything is more fun, I think. Yeah, because everybody it is. is a player. Everybody, it's more therefore, fun for everyone. in the equation is is engaged and equal in terms of like the influence they can have on the interaction. Yeah, but I think I think it's the same attitude when you apply it to body politics because the more space you take up when you're not a cis man, the bigger a problem you are. And so there was this huge problem around my butchness, which I really internalized, and I think the heterosexual porn happened because it it was safe for me to watch because whenever I watched lesbian porn I felt like a toxic man that was watching these women and well you know you have this whole anxiety spiral in your head of oh it almost feels unconsensual that I'm that I'm watching them I'm toxic I'm toxic and I mean obviously it's completely irrational it's all to do with this internalized homophobia Mm. this internalized butch phobia but it took years to undo it but is it that at that time when you were younger, you could only imagine I must be watching this from a place of toxicity because I've not seen or experienced other sort of places, other cultures? Yeah, there was no representation of um, masculine bodied people, masculine presenting people having like consensual, joyful egalitarian sex anywhere and that does exist now i mean you often have to pay for it you have to pay for like crash pad series or whatever what is a crash pad series sorry oh it's um it's porn it's porn okay. that you can buy and it it's, sounds it's very like inclusive it's... oh that's good crash pad because it sounds a bit like um you know those instructional videos you used to watch about driving where there'd be crash test <laughs> yeah. dummies that yeah. would be in serious accidents and you'd watch them over and over again. It's almost it's almost that. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> How did you find mm. a, a way to come to terms with that? Because I think for me personally, I resonate with it deeply around the idea that you are allowed to be a person who takes up space. It took removing everything that I'd come to rely on in sex. I can remember actively having to acknowledge in in therapy actually <laughs> that I was really reliant on recreating the same settings because I didn't trust myself to be able to enjoy uh, just being present so like whenever I masturbated I had to be in this one position and I had to watch this hideous porn that I actually hated and 
I had to be like incredibly vulnerable whenever I was having sex and really like passive because that was the safe that was the safe way to be you know I had this almost like fear of my own sexuality of somehow being toxic which again was was just internalized homophobia mm-hmm. this idea that if you're attract if you're attracted to women around you maybe they don't want a gay around them and how could you this is horrible this is toxic <laughs> even when you're in a you know a fully consensual long-term relationship with someone and I, ne- I never realized that's what it was at the time when I came out I even had that from god I haven't thought about this in years I had one family member who I know said to someone else because I and my family are catholic which is a, the ideal family to exist in as a person. <laughs> um but I know she said to someone else, oh, well, I, I would be, I wouldn't be okay with it, but um, it's fine because we're related, so she can't be attracted to me. And I mean, oh. first of all, oh, I would never be attracted to you. <laughs> she was like, well, it's safe because oh, hopefully she's not incestuous. And it's like, <laughs> what do you think queer women are? Like, we're not just Fingers wandering crossed. around like attracted to all women in the entire world there's not this sort of like latent sexuality that comes with being queer if anything it's it's dampened by oppression i mean do you think that was internalized as well though this sense of like being rampant being yeah voracious definitely definitely do you think that would affect your ideas around coming as well and how much you should come and how quickly you should come in terms of like if you're supposed to be this uncontrollable vamp then definitely that needs to be happening in the bedroom as well I had to not be the man and one of the things that really helped me with this so I, I maybe haven't talked about yet was performing with Pex because Pex has this fan base of screaming incredible screaming queers who crave the non-cis male dick so much and when you walk when you walk on stage to perform with a drag king troupe because there are no men in that space, there are rarely any men in the audience, there are no men on the stage, and the whole point of the show is um, celebrating masculinity, but without masculinity being owned by cis male bodies. So it's it's celebrating non-cis male masculinity. There's this amazing thing that happens where you realise that you're allowed to take up space and that mm. you're attractive. So I basically got this onslaught of affirmation I suppose, which wasn't like my main experience of performing. I wasn't like, the main thing I'm enjoying here is that everyone seems quite attracted to me Um, because I'm sure lots of people weren't attracted to me, but it was amazing that people were celebrating, presenting in a masculine way. And the show is very sexualized. And I, in the past, I would have been so uncomfortable with being in that kind of show because I, I think I would have seen it as in in some way toxic. But then I was in the show, I had the, this weird switch going in my head where I was like, this is completely fine. Actually, like, sex, sex is this beautiful thing that can be, like, really appreciated by everyone in the world and it's, like, something that everyone can experience and sometimes sex can be a horrible, traumatic thing, but actually masculinity and femininity and non-binariness can all coexist and can all be beautiful in their own way and it was just this this really weird epiphany moment that I had where I was like oh I'm not I'm not toxic and there's nothing wrong with me and my my sexuality is like a natural part of myself that's good and neutral rather than like actively bad and something to be like fretted over Mm. and now I'm now that I'm free of that everything else has just clicked into place 
and I obviously have a partner as well that's just very um I won't say accepting so there's nothing to be accepted but like actively supportive of my transness and we've had so many conversations about like how to have safe good feeling sex around that because I was so dissociated from my body before that I wouldn't even notice if something didn't feel that good or maybe like wasn't something I wanted to like think about in that moment I love that story so much because I am a bit obsessed I think with role-playing performance and how Mm. it can be harnessed for self-realization which sounds like a contradiction right like that you get on stage and you present in a way that is um a heightened version of yourself or just an aspect of yourself that you want to explore more or a character that represents something about yourself that you might not necessarily be allowed to express in real life Mm. and by that being seen recognized celebrated cheered applauded loved fancied all of that you can feel in yourself that you can be more honest open present in your most kind of naked form sometimes literally sometimes just walking around and interacting with people you love um I think that is a really powerful and true thing it's so funny because I'm thinking in my head about men I know who do stand up who think that it's a way of keeping people away who think that Mm. it's literally building a barrier between you and an audience deliberately separating yourself off creating a disconnect for me I found it such a liberating and connecting form like talking about things that I've like not being able to orgasm and people recognizing that and celebrating that and identifying with it and coming up to me afterwards and cheering the show and feeling as if that was something that wasn't as unique and strange as I thought. And then as I started to have more pleasure, finding a vocabulary to explain that on stage again was like a way of making it real. I think if I don't write, if I don't perform, if I don't articulate something on the page or in person, it doesn't become as real for me, which I know is bad. I know that you should be able to have experience on your own without expressing <laughs> it outwards. But it certainly helps me, I think, to to realise what I think and feel better if I say it, yeah. if I talk about it. Yeah. And so strangely, being so open with a huge audience meant I could be much more open with like the one person that I was having sex with or that yeah. I was falling in love with and didn't feel so awkward or strange or wrong for doing so. I know that's not exactly what you were saying, but I do think there's something about uh, people taking up space on stage that then allows them to feel as if that's something they can do off stage as well. Absolutely. I had this really interesting conversation with a friend of mine, Emily Abood, who is also a drag king, Trinidad and too gay though. But Emma's also a theatre maker and does shows about their experience of Caribbean culture and um, queerness as well and they made this really good point about how you shouldn't put something on stage that could be traumatic for other people before you've done the work around it which I really agree with mm-hmm. um, but I also feel like there is a thing where when you have done a certain amount of work in your personal life sometimes just because you are part of a minority group or you've experienced oppression in some way just sometimes because you're a woman I think there's like more care taken around putting that kind of work on stage in the first place I know people that have done shows about things that they are processing that they have been very careful about the presentation on like they have Mm. warnings before the show and yeah I think there are there are there are stages of what 
you can put on stage. Um, I completely agree. I also know men that have done shows where they, like, for some reason think they get to talk about Me Too, which is, like, completely inappropriate (laughs) and so wrong. Um, So that's not what I'm condoning at all, (laughs) just to be clear. I think all men should just be quiet. I think there's also something about processing um, artistically as well. So you've Mm. got to a point where you feel safe and comfortable to talk about something. You're not talking about it because you can't afford therapy, which is understandable because it's incredibly expensive. Extortionate, yeah and hard to access on the NHS but it's more that um, you're not therefore just using a comedy show as a way to talk about it to anyone it's more that you have got to a place where you feel like actually I've experienced something and processed it to a point where I think my talking about it might be helpful for other people because I am yeah. at a stage where I'm close enough to kind of having some realisations that I can share those as well as just the painful part exactly. I think that's quite important because I think otherwise you leave an audience hanging and potentially it's quite triggering for people and I also think in terms of the artistic side of it you want to be putting something on stage because there's an element of creativity in the telling and a way in which you're interpreting it and playing you can be playful with it I think that's the big thing for me you can be playful with it which doesn't mean you're necessarily clowning or playing games it just means there's a lightness to the presentation there's a lightness to your relationship with the material that means it can be fun for you and for the audience and it isn't re-traumatizing every time you do it exactly yeah you've put that so well because I feel like you have to do that initial there's there's that initial processing getting in touch with it sorting it out so it's not going to be actively traumatic to put on stage for people that are watching it because the the purpose should never be to traumatize the audience that's the the thing to to do yeah (laughs) yeah um and then actually performing it is an act of of reprocessing and and going further with it like I feel like there's that this final stage to self-therapizing which is performing something mm. and then I have to stop doing it so then that I can finish it. finish processing it so, so I, can move on I, I yeah. was gonna ask you because I remember the the first time I was still a student when you did the show dressed as the sperm oh yes and I can remember <laughs> watching you walk around in Edinburgh thinking fantastic <laughs> but did you um, did you have to step back from doing shows like that to process yeah this sort I of stuff I also had to step back from that show to be able to come did you did you did you really want these do you know yourself how well do you know these? what would you describe an orgasm as being like for you and feel free to describe different ones if you think mm. that they've got better so there are two kinds of orgasms. I'm going to separate them into two main brackets of orgasms that I experience with like partnered sex. I rarely come just from like clitoral stimulation on its own. Yeah. Um, I really need like penetration at the same time. I just, I almost as, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I, it's almost like a distraction from what's actually happening, but a great distraction that I really enjoy. Um, that, lets, <laughs> that lets me stop overthinking it i suppose um, and also i would argue maybe as well like the front is warming up the back yeah <laughs> because everything sounds... because everything is everything so interconnected is yeah um because the clit is is sprawling i mean dear god she's <laughs> massive she's yeah. everywhere your spinal cord has certain nerves that connect as well and so it goes up your back and potentially down your nervous system to your toes to your brain etc it's all interconnected it is and the g-spot is connected and so i really i sort of need g-spot simulation because i think my 
clit is either very... I, I can't tell whether my clit is just very sensitive or just incredibly insensitive and needs a lot of time to warm up. I oscillate between these two theories. I don't How know. How lush is it, though, when you've gone from being like, I have no sensation or I'm numb? I don't know if this is true for you, but like, I have an insensitive clitoris, to then realising, oh, yeah. no, the whole time it was actually extremely sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> and it was and just was being just... overwhelmed by these huge vibrators that I was completely numbing it out with. Like, so <laughs> nice. So but nice. When I look back at it, I'm just like, my clip must have just been there, like screaming at me, like, "What are you doing? Exactly. You're jack. Like, what is this? Why have yeah. you? Why have you applied like this jackhammer to me? Why exactly. would I ever enjoy this? I always feel if I'm having a, an internal orgasm, which I always need to combine with clitoral play. I can't come ju- like just from being penetrated. Yeah. Um. It feels like there's this big cup. I always sort of visualize this almost like a goblet and it's filling up with this sort of hot (laughs) golden liquid but there are holes in the bottom of the goblet so if it doesn't fill up fast enough then the goblet will like fill up and then it'll start to everything will trickle out the bottom of it again and I only come when it gets to like overflowing at the top so I, I have this moment where um I feel like it's filling up and filling up and filling up oh it's trickling out oh okay okay no that's still good oh it's filling up again Mm. And then um, eventually like spilling over the top and then just the entire image just gets flooded with this sort of golden liquid. I just feel like I'm in this big golden bath. That's how I've always vi- I've always visualised it. I have a very clear visualisation of, of what coming is. Oh, I'm um, smiling so much and holding my hands like a child. It's <laughs> just so <laughs> gleeful. That's such a lush one. Yeah, there's something really liquid. And what is mm. it warm? Is it slightly warm, the liquid? Yeah, always bit? warm. Always warm. Yeah. So then ultimately you like become, the you're in like a jacuzzi at the end. You're almost like in the river of it. Yeah, I'm in this like quim tidal pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm at. Turn that off, I need a wee. It's weird because whenever I come just from my clit, I feel much more vulnerable and much wow. more like um, I don't visualise as much because I'm always in my... Whenever I'm having sex, I I, I really visualise. And I don't just mean I'm like playing out scenarios in my head. It's much more like I, I see like colors and stuff i just feel, i sort of feel very um it's almost like synesthesia but it's not oh. i don't have synesthesia but it's it's like i see these sort of like computer saving screen visuals while i'm having sex um the immersive <laughs> the immersive like macbook pro experience but when i come from my clit it feels um much more sudden like there isn't this big build up but it's much more overwhelming. Like I feel, I feel like my body is is under this big weight almost, and that just like electric currents going through my body. Like it's a really different experience, I think, um, which is quite strange. It's quite it's quite strange to experience that and be aware that it's so different. I'm not even entirely sure why. It's great. I mean, I'm not complaining. I think there's something around a really good orgasm probably because I'd had so many experiences of disassociation in the past where Mm. actually sex made me feel more alone uh, because at the end of it, I would feel really dissatisfied and like I'd missed out on the best bit. I've also always, ever since I was a child, like 
never not had pudding so I think it was just a really weird um rhythmical thing for me it yeah. didn't make sense yeah. so I was always like <laughs> but where's the pudding and um sure the main course was like nice but where's the pudding I'm yeah. still hungry and I won't be going to sleep until I've had it yeah. so that went on for years <laughs> and um like genuinely as a kid I used to get up and be like I don't think I can I I think I, I'm getting a tummy ache because I didn't have anything for pudding brilliant fair <laughs> enough I sound like little Lord Fanteroy like coming down the stairs where's my bun <laughs> My sweet bun. Give it to me. And then once I'd started to have them, I was like, oh, yeah, I feel really like reconnected with myself after it. Mm. It feels really a unifying experience where you you can be sort of busy in your head and and um, worrying about things and not really even feeling necessarily like, oh, am I in a sexual place right now? And then once you've gone through that whole journey of like, yeah, getting turned on and getting into it and then orgasming it feels as if you've surprised yourself almost because you didn't know you didn't I didn't back myself I was like it's not going to happen this time and then it does and it's almost like my body has taken over and gone actually sometimes oh we know better than you (laughs) (laughs) so it's great it's a lovely feeling of like yeah coming back to yourself and I wonder whether if it's an internal experience an internal orgasm that's just magnified I think you might be right because I, I imagine it's actually happening quite quickly. It feels very slow in that moment. But it's so hard to try and um, trace why things feel the way they feel. But I think, I think you're probably right. I mean, I might also be completely wrong. There'll probably be people listening going like, no, nah, I beg to differ. I don't know, I feel completely different. Well, but everyone can, I guess. Everyone, yeah. like, vulvas are always different, man. I mean, I also think there's there's that third orgasm, which is like, this I have a friend that calls them speed bump orgasms mm. um where like i for the longest time because i have horrendous insomnia i was like wanking myself to sleep every night yeah and you would have the speed bump orgasm the immensely unsatisfying speed bump orgasm uh which is like oh, i'm gonna come oh i've come, I've come. <laughs> it was crap <laughs> it was fine yeah um, none of these magic fireworks it's very frustrating looking back on all the times I was given the advice of, like, you can't come until until you don't want to come. Just let go. Don't care. And it's like, but of course you care. Of course, like, you've got this, this thing being described to you that's like, there's this magical mm. whole body experience that that most people can access. I remember just being so frustrated all the time. And I think actually better advice is just like, yeah, sure, you can continue to care about that, but just like try and feel better in yourself, like enable yeah. yourself to get there because not not everyone can. Mm. But if you if you do have the capacity to experience that kind of like fully immersive orgasm, the best thing to do is to just make yourself feel safe and as relaxed as possible while still caring about it. Yeah, you still have to care. A yeah <laughs> yeah a bit like I just think it's irrational to expect people to let go well yeah. it's the same as like when people go like just stop looking and you'll find someone and it's like oh because <sighs> if I stopped looking then I'd probably just stay in the house and eat crisps so <laughs> at what point will I be finding somebody at the bottom of the packet of crisps <laughs> will it be Gary Linker <laughs> hello tiny yeah. boyfriend <laughs> thank you so much Jodie it's so nice to talk to you, you um, too. is there anything you think I didn't ask you about that you were like oh oh, that's really important I didn't mention oh god no you've successfully delved it's been brilliant <laughs> I've loved I'll put that on my you. poster Helen successfully delved 